thank you for joining us again today on a new episode of Reinforce the Horse. I think you're really going to enjoy our guest. We had a fantastic conversation with Miss Rachel Winchaser, rewilding coach and horsesmith. As a self-professed lifelong student of the horse, Rachel's journey with horses began at three years old when her father presented her with her first pony. Rachel attributes a lot of her success today to her dad, who would remind her to, quote, be kind and check your timing. This is a mantra she teaches uh, with her coaching clients today. Aside from her dad, Rachel says the very best teachers have been the horses in her life. Rachel founded the Rewild Your Horse Spirit and Horsesmith programs after living with a herd of colonial Spanish Mustangs as part of the revival of this endangered breed in Spain. This huge project led to the first colonial Spanish Mustang full in approximately 200 years in Spain. As a rewilding coach, Rachel brings a lifetime of experience and knowledge to her clients. Her unique combination of humor, kindness, generosity, and empathy creates a welcoming environment where individuals can explore their relationship not only with themselves, but with their horses. She specializes in helping individuals rewild their connection with their horse by understanding their own nature and developing practical skills they can use in their daily lives. Her approach combines horse-human neuronavigation with her own life experiences and knowledge. This results in a truly effective coaching experience. Overall, Rachel says her goal is to help her clients achieve their goals and strengthen their relationships with their horses. She believes that everyone has the potential to succeed and she's honored to be a part of their journey towards rewilding. All right, Rachel, Hi. after some uh, technical difficulties here, thank you for joining us on uh, another fine episode of Reinforce the You're Horse. You're welcome. It was and, meant to uh, be, obviously. Wow, you've got quite an awesome uh, bio. We have introduced you to the guests or the audience prior to bringing you on here. But if you just want to go ahead and elaborate a little bit on who you are, um, what you're doing now, and then we'll just kind of have a nice chat. Sure, no worries. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, well, I'm Rachel Winchaser, and I run two programs in parallel. First, it started with the Spanish Mustangs, the, the colonial Spanish Mustangs, which um, I re reintroduced here in Spain. And my coaching program, my mentoring program, which is Rewild Your Horse Spirit, was sort of born out of that. I've lived my life with horses. Um, I had my first pony at three years old. My dad turned up with a little Welsh colt and said, you know, here you go, it's time. And by the time I was 18, I had five of my own personal horses because horses were very important in our, in our family. And we always had a very natural way of being with them. My, my father was a huge influence on everything I did and still do today. And But there was always some element that I felt was missing from my conversations with the horses. And it wasn't until I started living with these 
very pure beings, these colonial Spanish Mustangs, that it really hit home just how diluted our domestic horses are in the in in general. And I started investigating the rewilding aspect of really getting deep into their nature and what makes horses tick and why they behave in the way they behave. But it was a real awakening combining that the, the wildness of the Mustang, although these are not wild Mustangs, they've come from very um, natural herds uh, and they are very rare now in, in terms of breed, they're endangered. And comparing them to the domesticated horses, the very highly domesticated man-made horses, if you like. And they showed me so much more of the conversation that we could have with them. And that took me down a huge rabbit hole of how we, as a being, the human being, has become so over-domesticated that we're also diluted from ourself, our, our, the trueness of a human being. Um, and we can get into that into much more detail. It was a combination of these horses coming into my life yeah. that made me look at horses in a different way and realize that even though, like I say, I grew up in a very natural environment with horses, um, it still was in a diluted way compared to the actual nature of the horse. And I think every horse, every even every highly domesticated horse, has within their core their their origin, obviously, their nature. And if we can tap into that, their ability to survive our environment, because they are domesticated horses, I'm under no illusion that we as human beings have our goals with the horses that we have in our lives. And that's okay, as long as we consider that the conversation and the dialogues that we have with them and the relationships that we build with them come from a horse-centric um, uh, path, if you like, and not solely um, the way we are going to look at things. And one of the things that I have developed with the horses here and the conversations that I've developed with the horses in my care is that principle that all horses, no matter what they give on whatever day, are giving you 100% of what they can in that moment, and to be grateful. Because as we have bad days, they have bad days. As we find things difficult, they find things difficult. As we get confused, they get confused. And we tend to turn up with, with the idea that they're going to be the same horse as they were yesterday, and they are going to be progressing in a very linear way. We're not linear beings. We're mammals. They're not linear beings. They're mammals. Mm -hmm. And I think there's got to be some correlation between the, those two things. And also consider that although there's, sure. there's a lot of study within the wild horse and free roaming horses, I think we need to be very careful how we layer that onto our domestic horses because they don't have that same environment and we have to yeah. somehow balance those two things to find a harmony for them so tell us more about that so you got uh your dad got you your first pony yeah. uh when you were three yeah. was that the family's debut into the equine no, world no. or uh it sounds like your dad had a, a long history yeah. of horses prior to yeah, that we, yeah and so that went from 
you know, you getting a, a pony to then just kind of getting more immersed in, in all things equine or were there a specific type of horse early on? Yeah. Well, like I say, we uh, had, uh, he, he turned up with this little colt, a six month old colt. And certainly I think now it, that would be too young. Um, it wouldn't be part of my uh, ideal, but that was the way it was then. So, yeah, so he turned up with this little six-month-old colt called I called him Harvey, and and but before that, I mean, there's pictures of me as a baby in arms on horses. Horses were my life, our lives. It was how we we grew up, and um, without making the mechanical beings as children. They were our bikes to to how other children would have gotten around the village, for example. Um, unfortunately, that little colt passed away when he was gelded. So my mum, who was not the horse part part of the partnership, decided that if I was going to get another one, it would have to be a filly, so that I didn't get over traumatized again if if there was any other. Um, he, he got um, an infection, so he died through gelding. Um. So I grew up actually from the age of five to 18 only with mares uh, because, you know, my mum didn't want me to go through that trauma again. And when Trixie, which was the pony I got at five, I became too big for her, obviously. Then we got her a flat back car and we would go around the village, you know, collecting bits and bobs. And it was just how we grew up. It was just part of our lives, moving from A to B and, and being with the horses. I can remember saying to my dad once, when you get to that certain age, you know, I I, I want a car. So, oh, it's okay. I, I, maybe I'll sell one of the horses. Well, my dad looked at me like I'd just offered to chop his arm off. And he said, absolutely not. You get a job. You earn some money. If you want mm-hmm. a car, that's what you, you know, that's what you're going to have to do about it. <laughs> the horses stay. So, luckily. Very cool. Yeah, that's kind of how we are. Like, uh, the horses have become such a part of our existence and and for me you know i'm uh coming up on 42 years old and yeah <laughs> yeah laugh it up <laughs> uh but the you're uh, a baby still so forget the that decades passed. <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh we horses didn't enter my life until late 2018 oh wow and so uh they've just been remarkably uh now part of our existence uh it's, they get in um, they get i, I love what you mentioned about Right. Yeah, they definitely do. And they they kind of permeate the being, mm-hmm. uh, which brings me to one of the things that you mentioned in, in your your bio write up about your dad saying, you know, be kind and check your timing. And that idea, Alyssa and I have talked about, you know, it, maybe not those exact words in that way, but but definitely kindness. And can you share a bit more about, you know, how that came about? Well, and Well, yeah. he was. um he was an incredible horseman and I, I have to, you know, I had full admiration for him and I, I have the life I have now because he gave me the foundations that he gave me. And his big thing, like I say, was, um, be kind and check your timing because if they're not responding, his, his premise was if they are not giving you the response that you seem to be looking for, then your question is either wrong or you asked it at the wrong time. And that could mean either um, they're not ready for that question, so you're too early for it, 
or the moments passed and you were too late for it. But taking that a little bit further, I think it also is part of balance as well. So when we have a horse that's trying really hard, our timing as human beings is awful. We are slow, usually. And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that, as I said earlier, we have become so used to having everything done for us. And that also takes me on to our domestic horses and the fact that quite a lot of them fail to understand how to think as a horse because we're constantly thinking for them. They don't need to look for food. They don't need to look for water. They don't. So their, their survival instincts get dulled and that makes them, that makes them react in a way that appears to be either spooky or, or frustrated or the fight and the flight. And what it is is that they just don't know how to respond because we're asking them a question to respond to that we haven't allowed them through nature and nurture to actually look for the answers themselves. And they are super intelligent beings. The way you brought that into um, what you said earlier about just them being so disconnected and how we are so disconnected from nature, mm -hmm. that that really resonates with me because I've been walking around barefoot a lot oh, lately <laughs> for, you know, there's a lot of science around it. And I, a poem came to me this morning just about my feet <laughs> and how how our feet are so intricately connected to the earth or they should be at least most of the time and how disconnected we are because and it sounds like a lot like what we do with the horses like we we bring them into domestication and put them in a cage essentially absolutely, in a lot of ways absolutely. and remove them from their natural environment which what it sounds like you're saying is ultimately leading to them being in a a shutdown or disassociation Absolutely. They become state. Yeah, they become institutionalized, if you like. So it's, it's, it's as simple or as complicated mm -hmm. as you want to make it. So even by just putting a rug on them, and I'm not saying, obviously, if there's, a, if there's a medical situation, all that aside, but the over-rugging, and I mean, my horses are all barefoot, and that goes to what you're saying. The horses have scent pads in their feet. That's how they follow and that's how they find themselves. That's how they discover where they've been and where they need to go in, in, in a wilder situation. So they can follow their own scent or they can follow the scent of the herd. Well, they know that there's a strange horse arriving in the herd. So your connection with the earth, the, the, the connection with your feet and the horse's connection with the feet, it's all linked. And I think that part of that rewilding I think you have to be a little bit cautious when we talk about our domestic horses, though, in a sense, because um, obviously I keep my horses as natural as possible, as they're not wild by any means, but in, certainly in, in a, we live in a forest in the middle of Spain and they have a lot of space and they're barefoot and they have you know, natural water, etc. And I understand. I think we have to be very careful because it gets to the point, I don't want to alienate those that don't have that. And I think no matter what you have, no matter what mm -hmm. space you have, there are things that we can do because we know things better now than we used to, that we can change and shift for our very domesticated horses. And it doesn't mean to say you can't have goals. You can't have, um, you know, some of my clients are competitors, but they choose the relationship before the ribbon. 
So if it's not working, they don't go for the ribbon. I wouldn't work with somebody that was so goal-orientated they're only going to consider their horses and machine. The horse always comes first, no matter what. Because that is non-negotiable. But within the parameters and the environments that people have, we need to start working on what we can do to improve that for our horse's well-being. Because a mentally and emotionally balanced horse, the one that's in harmony is going to be in harmony with their bodies. And once their mind and their bodies are working together, they're with you. And when they're with you, they can have a dialogue with you, you can have a conversation with them, and it becomes a true partnership. If you haven't got that, you've just got this being over here and you being over here in our own little worlds, tied up in all our technology and all our um, difficulties that we have in life. And we we all have them right now. It's a really hard place to be in the world. But out there, that's where sanctuary is. The earth, the earth under your feet is sanctuary. I just, I think that's brilliant what you do. When people come here to the retreats, it's what I, take your shoes off. We're going for a walk in the earth. So like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting thing to me, how many people are so, uh, how walking barefoot at at any point is just so foreign to people, myself included, until recently. And there's a lot of like science and mysticism and all kinds of stuff that support, as you probably know, the the connection with the earth in that way is is a really cool thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the rewilding? I guess uh, the definition and what what it is to you. What is it? Well, in in one word, I guess it's freedom, because you become you become less bound by what society expects of you. It doesn't mean, you know, running around naked in the forest. It means having an energy and an emotional connection with what should be. So the earth the birds, the breath, the wind, to understand that things and things can move forward without something physical being in your hand, on your body, in your mind, constantly thinking that it's the nothingness of everything. Does, does that make sense? It's, it's very difficult to explain because it is an energy, it's a feeling, it's it's a harmony within mind and body. So to rewild yourself and rewild the horses, like I say, it's not opening the fences and letting them run off. It's not realistic. We have to find rewilding in every moment of our day where we can and find that joy in that one moment. And that is the freedom. So if you can find moments in your day where you feel truly connected to something that you truly love, like the the softness in your horse's mane, for example, or the earth under your feet, or the breeze on your skin. Notice that. That's part of that freedom in rewilding. It, it's not, like I say, going out and, and uh, hunting, you know. And mm-hmm. It's about noticing what's around you, the nature, and, and, and I think it's... It's about love, really. It's about the love that you have of the beings that you are surrounded by. 
and that's everybody. I think we're very um, shy of saying to people, wow, you know, kind of love you. And that's part of feeling free, mm-hmm. and that's part of rewilding. We're so closed. We're so, yeah, boxed in. We box ourselves in into this is who I am, and it could be that's who you are in that moment, but you are allowed to be somebody else in another moment. And that goes back to the horses and, and the, my belief that when I go into the horses, I observe them because that's the other thing. We don't observe anything. I think observation is an art that we're losing because we are bombarded by so much visual that we... We, we surf it. It's a bit like speed reading. We don't take all the words in. We don't take all the letters in. And if we don't take everything in, how are we really going to know what the characters and, and what how the story is going to unfold? So if I go into the horses, whether they're my horses or the horses in my care, it doesn't matter. In that moment, I 100% surrender to that horse in that moment. And... They and, I, and, and allowing them to come back to me in that moment as well. And I think that's where the true connections lie. It's just in the, okay, I, I accept you for the horse that you are today. I accept you for the person you are today. And knowing that tomorrow could be and probably will be different. So it's a freedom, I think. Just a beautiful way of expressing that. Because in, in your work with Mustang, so I... I'm having a hunch that you might have had a particular horse that is near and dear to your heart, uh, the so-called heart horse, if you want to call it that. <laughs> is is there one, or is it a conglomeration of maybe a herd of horses? Well, that, that really connected you in this way, or I think the the adult in me wants to say no. All the horses are absolutely special, but I love them all. The child in me will tell you that it's Charlie. It is my Lakota Windchaser. He was the first Spanish Mustang that came into my life and is the reason that we are in the mountains in Spain trying to preserve them as a herd because right now I think there's about 1,600 left. There's none left in Spain. They got lost in Spain about 200, 300 years ago. And we have we built this tiny little herd that we have right now, which is uh, a stallion, our first colt, who's, who is also a stallion, and two mares and Charlie. So I think in my life, as I have, as I have, I've, as my stories unfolded with horses, there's always been one horse that has made a shift, and some small and some seismic shifts in my life and Charlie in this this carnation he is the creation of he's created this if you like so yeah the adult of me says and truly believes that whoever I'm with in that moment is my heart but the 10 year old says it's Charlie (laughs) so okay so you still have him and and, uh, he's the black roan that you um, see so you mentioned you mentioned as well that this Spanish colonial Mustang herd. It, did I read it correct that you guys had the first bull in in like 200 yeah. years? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So that's really interesting. So we had um, uh, 
We had a stallion brought over from Texas. He is Champagne High. He's this, this Champagne stallion that you probably see some photographs on, on my social and on the website. And he came over from Texas uh, 2019. Um, the first, he's the only Champagne colonial Spanish Mustang outside America in the rest of the world. And there's only a few Champagne of the breed left. Um, and I had two mares, and yeah, in 2019, so he's just nearly two, we had our first Spanish colt born. He's a zebra dun. Uh, he's called Caminando con Sueños, which means walking with dreams in Spanish. But I call him Parker, because I'm not going to call that out in the middle. <laughs> Caminando con Sueños. Um, <laughs> so we call him Parker, which is a nod, actually, to my family. Um so yes, he would have be he would be the first foal born on Spanish soil in about two hundred years back in Spain. So. Wow, that's neat. So tell us more about Charlie. What what are the specific aspects to Charlie that just really resonated with you? Well, when I went to meet him, uh, actually, I was looking at the time I was living in Italy. And I knew that I wanted to come home to Spain because I'm convinced in another life I was actually Spanish. I spent 20 years in Spain, then moved to Italy for 11 years and then came back to Spain. And I knew I was coming back here. But while I was in Italy, um, I, uh, my mother passed away and it was a really hard time for me. And she said to me, this is not get too emotional. She said to me um, just before she passed, Rachel, why are you in Italy? Because I know you're happier in Spain. And why have you not got a horse? Because it was one of the only periods, few periods of my life that I didn't have my own personal horse. I was still, you know, working with horses, but I didn't have my own. And um, so that was it. It was almost like I've, I've got to do as I'm told, you know. So I started looking for a horse. And in, at first I was looking for a Spanish breed because I knew them. And then I came across the story of the colonial Spanish Mustangs, how rare they were. And it was very romantic. You know, the conquistadors took them to America. And then um, the, the first peoples of America, the Native Americans, um, particularly the Apaches, I think, were the first tribe, took them on and they became the Indian pony. And so it was a very romantic story. And so I had this grand idea, and I thought, well, if I get a mare, then maybe one day I could breed. And so I went over to, to look for a mare, and I saw this big uh, blue roan, amazing, but it was uh, a boy. And he, he nickered at me as I walked past the fence. He nickered at me, and I thought, well, that was quite cute, but I've come to look at a mare. And I walked past him again, and he went, I said, He's so handsome. Can, can I go in and have a look? And I went in to have have a look, and he just plonked his nose on my chest and just filled me with warmth. That you know that breath that they give you. And I just looked up and went, "Yeah, this is my horse. This this is my horse." And he became my horse, and it was just so emotional because I was very emotional at the time and it was just a choice he made and I was told that they choose you this breed will choose you um and he, they're just incredible animals I mean all horses are incredible but 
I'm very privileged to live a life with these horses that help me understand the, the, the way horses should think, should feel, and, um, yeah, and that helps me take that through to, to my clients. And he, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. He's very thunderous and, yeah, he's my, he's my 10-year-old heart horse, but not my adult <laughs> Yeah, so, wow. I'm, I'm trying to take in all of, all of, uh, man, you, you've touched on so many, so many awesome aspects. It, it sounds like you have a, a very spiritual, uh, aspect just to your being and, and presence. I, I, and can you, can you talk maybe a, a bit about, about that? Because I'm, I'm having a feeling that it, it's connected to your, relationship with horses and uh i'm finding that <laughs> Alyssa and i are finding that that's how it is with a lot of people i think uh, um yeah i th- i think it's very difficult I-, I find it very difficult to comprehend that anybody that lives with horses cannot have some sort of spiritual connection and that's that sounds a little judgmental and i understand that as i hear it but it's so fundamental to my life with horses and how they have helped me transform some of my thinking as a, as a domesticated human being, as a domesticated adult with responsibility. And I think, I think it's very important that we understand that as we are flexible with ourselves within this dialogue, and forgiving we need to forgive ourselves for being how we are but have a path of how to come out of that and that's what the horses I think have helped me certainly in my story in my journey they given the opportunity they will forgive they will show you the best of them because they want you to show them the best of you and if you are giving them only part of you and not the best part of you, that's when you don't get um, the harmonious conversations and that, that that intertwining of the two spirits. I, I did a talk the other day about how important parts of the horse's body are and how we sometimes disregard areas of the horse because they are big and strong. And I think that goes to us as human beings. We shield ourselves and wrap ourselves and protect ourselves, which is understandable because vulnerability and opening ourselves up can be really scary. But if we cannot see each other as we are, how are we going to be able to present to our horses who we are? And they need to know. They need to know who we are. And that, I think, is a lesson that's helped me navigate the human world. Because from being a very little girl, I've always found it much easier to to hang out and communicate and just be with horses than I have with humans. I find humans, don't mm-hmm. be offended, but I find humans in general quite perplexing creatures. And, and I get... Oh, I get 
Yeah, good. Well, not good. It shouldn't be, but it it it's it's a very I, I, I find myself quite often with my head tilted going, yeah, but why? Why are you doing that? And the horses are so direct. They're so clear and clean with how they are with each other and how they are with somebody that is open and clear and clean. And when you become foggy and white-noised and full of um, too much um, confusing energy, too many vibrations that are not rhythmic because horses are rhythmic creatures they live in rhythm our lives are not rhythmic unfortunately we have so many aspects of our life that keeps us out of rhythm keeps us out of balance they can't cope with that and why should they and it's not and then we as human beings consider that an inadequacy of them and actually, it's our inadequacy. We need to be balanced. We need to be in rhythm. And my biggest joy is when I can see a human and a horse come into rhythm and come into balance together. Because my philosophy is that every, every, every relationship that I work with, uh, my, my task is to allow them to have the tools so that I don't have to be there. There's no point in me going in and creating a relationship with the horse and balancing the horse and, and having an emotional dialogue with the horse and making setting the horse up if the human isn't along for the journey. Because I'm going to leave and then they're still going to have discourse. So my goal is that the relationship, it's more, like more relationship counselling than, than actually horse training or coaching, is to ensure that the human and the horse have a partnership and an understanding so that they have the tools to be able to have that dialogue. They have the vocabulary to be able to continue that dialogue when I'm not there so that it doesn't just stop. Because I can't be everywhere and, you know, I want them to progress. I want that relationship to blossom and not be dependent on me or anybody else. It is their relationship and... As we're all different, my relationship with horses, so my relationship with one of your horses would not be the same as your relationship with your horse because we are two individual people. And likewise, your relationship with one of my horses would be complete. It's your relationship as it is in my relationship with that particular horse. It's a, they are all individuals and we are all individuals. So the accents and the dialogues and, and the vocabularies between two people, between two beings, are all going to be different. So it doesn't matter how much I set up the emotional foundation, which is great, that's my job, and that's what I do. The rest of the story has to be written by them as a team, as a partnership, as a relationship. And it doesn't have to involve me in every chapter. If, if, does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. It's kind of like a, a a good counselor would, let's say, you know, ultimately work themselves out of the job because they're, you know, equip equipping the person with the tools and the ability to do things on their own and in their own way. Would you consider yourself an empath? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and it seems to me since. Personally, since I've been working with horses, they've really helped 
bring out and bring about my empathic nature that I uh, more or less shut down over my lifetime. Would you uh, have any insight into that? Because it, it just it's a really interesting concept to me. And it seems like you're really kind of touching on those those sure. aspects of empathy and the horse being able to kind of see through our veil, so to yeah, speak, yeah, you know, or our barriers absolutely. that we put up. They, they see deeply into who you truly are. And it's those that need to look back into ourselves to see what they see. Um, and sometimes it's not pleasant, so that's for sure, but it's, that's what you need to be working with. But in terms of empathy, empathy can be quite a, but this is my take on empathy anyway, it, it can be quite a tricky emotion. And I think we all have the ability to be empathetic. But I think, again, over time and over our lives, we lose that um, that. Um, that feeling, that delicacy that sometimes empathy needs. And I think also that empathy alone is, is good, but empathy with compassion is, you can rock the world with that. You rock the world with it. Because empathy is something that you can feel same as somebody so you're having a really difficult time and I feel it I, I full empathy I understand it I see you I feel you I can help you be in the moment with your emotion good bad or indifferent but the compassion side of that balance is what helps you out of the situation that you're in there's no point in me only being able to say to or be with a horse and say, God, your your, your situation is is dire. You, you're, the, the horses is the you know the reason why I was late this this evening because I have this outreach program and it started in COVID um, where people can call and I try and help them the best I can and to keep horses either in their first choice home with support with families that are not horsey or find them a soft landing if they've gotten themselves into a difficulty without it becoming a legal matter. They surrender their horses because they can't cope anymore, which I am I fully support. Um, so I can have empathy with that, and I can have empathy with people, but the compassion side is the, the side that sorts, sorts it out. So if you, if you fall over... I can empathize that you fell over, but I'm going to hold my hand now and the compassion is lifting you up. The compassion is supporting you and giving you a, building a scaffolding under you so that if you fall again, this is already a foundation being built underneath you. So I think the two work together. And I think this is just my take on it. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, you know, I'm just a, uh, I'm just a horse girl. But this is how I've lived through this. And, I, you know, empathy can... Empathy sometimes has a dark side to it because you feel like you're being empathetic and it's, it can't be a box tick. True empathy. True empathy is a true, deep, moving feeling. But it has to have that compassion so that 
it can have forward progress. So it's like you're saying that empathy is the marker or the the thing that brings about something that may need action and then compassion is the logical follow through or action. It sounds like it could go the opposite way where you have the empathy, you have you have the feelings that arise, but you choose a different route that maybe isn't tied to compassion. So then you might you might go the wrong Absolutely. direction that way. So that if you, sounds if like you put it really simply and quite brutally, let's say, you know, I can say, God, I really feel you you're having a bad time. That's empathy for me. This is how I read it anyway. You, oh, I really feel you're having a bad time. Pull yourself together. You're having a really bad time. Right. What can I do to help? Where, what can we do? Let's let's make a let's make a mm-hmm. let's write the next chapter for ourselves so that we can together grow from this. That's, I mean, that's quite a basic way of putting it. I think. And like I say, this is just my take. Yeah, that's interesting, and I, I've never really connected those two, like compassion and empathy, directly together that way. So that's that's really profound to me. And it also, in the way of working with horses. It seems like to me, like I have rarely come across, I I haven't really even come across somebody directly that wants to do harm to a horse. However, I've seen a lot of horses that I would say the empathetic me comes out and says like, wow, there's a lot of harm being done to that horse. (laughs) And, and so I don't know, just kind of throwing it out there. Maybe a lot of people, they, they feel the empathy and they just don't have that level of compassion that's tied to it or their definition of compassion is a little different. Or I think sometimes it needs some work. I think sometimes as well, we have to be very careful that we don't, there's a very fine line and then where judgment comes in. And we mm-hmm. have to, I think that, that if we, if we can see that somebody is doing their best, then we cannot judge them poorly, but we can be compassionate and show them even a better way of doing whatever it is. With horses, without horses, in life in general, if they're doing their best and it's not working, we can be empathetic, we can be compassionate, we can help them, or we can judge them. But they're still doing their best, so that doesn't help them. Well said. So I think that's really Definitely. Hey, Rachel, what is your favorite way of reinforcing your horse? By telling them that I love them all the time. All the time. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Literally. God, I love you. I just walk in, all of them. I love them all. all Yeah, I do. That's it. I just love them, no matter what they're doing. How do they respond to that? Uh, differently, all differently, um, because they are individuals, and and I'm very I'm very big on this. I'm very I'm very passionate about that. There is no cookie cook, cook, cookie cutter horse in the world. There's no mm-hmm. even I have I have uh, siblings. I deal with siblings. They're two different horses. They're just not the same horse. Um. So I have Charlie, who is. If he could, he'd be a lap dog. I mean, he would get crawl up and sit on your knee if he really could. And Ch- Champ, when I tell him, when I when I give him that energy, he will come and stand and just breathe 
over my shoulder. It's a very strange thing. I have a, I have a very a bit of an obsessed obsession at the moment with shoulders and the horse's shoulder and it being the center of their communication or how they use their shoulder all the time. And like I was saying earlier, it's a huge big area that we ignore because I think it's huge and big and we just we're looking for and I think it's right that we look for the eyes and the ears and, and the nose and all those tiny little signals that they give us. But there's a huge big area there that is communicating all the time within themselves and within us. So he's a very he, he loves his shoulder being close to me. I've noticed that a, a lot recently, in fact, working with our Mustangs. Um, so we just added a new Mustang just a few months ago. And uh, so we have two Mustang mares that are, are from the the same herd, the same wild herd. They were captured at the same time. And then we have a domestic Bashkir Curly gelding. It's been really interesting for us to see just, you know, the two horse herd growing to a three horse herd and the dynamic there. Mm -hmm. And, and it's interesting that you bring up their shoulder because before I hadn't really noticed it too much. I think Alyssa, you, you had mentioned more than than me but it uh just in the past few months since we've added the third horse um i can see them like really using that and they'll use it not in a forceful way usually but it's it's definitely like using that large part of their body and communicating with it and they, they do a lot of communicating with that part of their body interesting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's wonderful so your you have what your your mares came from the wild then? They did White River Nevada. Mm-hmm. Wow! And they're your first horses. We had we had one other uh, domestic quarter horse mare that she was our very first, and then we got Cody, our Bashkir Curly, uh, not long after we got Mocha, and then Mocha passed away, and we got. Our Mustang, first Mustang, Willow, and then just recently added Cincy. So this is interesting. Do you see a, a different dynamic then between the wild horse that has come into a domestic situation and the domestic quarter horse that had always lived domestic? Yeah, I feel I feel like it has like they're they're completely different uh, and. So the dynamic we had for Mocha and Cody, our two first domestics, they were, they needed more of a natural environment that we didn't have for them. Uh, so to say, I mean, I don't, I never got to see Mocha transition from being 100% domestic to having that, like, that freedom, if you will, mm-hmm. to be more wild. Um, Cody, on the other hand, he has been domestic his whole life and he... We have a, a big paddock for them that they all share. And seeing him go from like a dry lotted space eating twice a day to being, you know, having a free feed and having grass and having two other horses in his paddock, he just seems so happy. Excellent. And he seems so grateful. And he. He comes up and he puts his nose, particularly to dad, he'll just like lay his nose on his chest and be like, thank you. That's wonderful. He's just such a grateful boy. And Yeah, we've definitely seen 
seen a lot of differences just in how they how they interact with each other and we laugh about it because Cody the domestic will be more at like the the hay nets and such and the two wild mares will will be out grazing more you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's just a you know a conditioning sort of thing Absolutely. but they all Cody has definitely kind of awakened that's why as you know, I love the phrase that you use, like the rewilding, because with our Mustangs, we've never taken the wild out of them. Mm-hmm. But but yet they are the most loving and compassionate and empathetic beings that uh, I've had the pleasure of being around. So but I think you need to obviously, um, um, yeah. also understand that it, there is truth in the saying that the horses are mirrors. So their being, particularly if you're talking about your wild mares and you are their first true interaction with a living um, situation with a human being. So I, I don't know how mm-hmm. quick they came to you from gathering or their situation before they actually arrived to you. But in terms of 24-7 human beings in their lives, you are there for them. Mm-hmm. And this is their experience of human beings so what you're getting you are feeding so you need to give yourselves credit for that understand because if they are being the way they are it's because they appreciate you as beings not human beings just two vertical mammals as opposed to horizontal mammals that are responsible (laughs) for their care that's beautiful that's that's what they feel that's what they're feeling so well done you thank you for that yeah that's that's definitely uh yeah it's it's been a it's been a fun ride for sure and it's you know definitely why we are sitting here you know uh having this conversation you know they they have helped us orchestrate this and very direct and indirect ways so and all, all of them all Five of, or four of them. Four. I mean, Alyssa and I used to just sit and talk about the horses, and we're like, we should do a podcast about this stuff. I'm so um, glad. Like I said, this yeah. dynamic of uh, father daughters is really, I love it. Absolutely love it. It just makes me have very happy memories. Well, thank you. And yeah. That's part of the joy, is, uh, for me at least, being able to share that. With yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, we'll have all definitely. This back on. That's great. That's great. Is there anything else that you have in mind of, as far as sharing? Any any more about your work, perhaps, or the the people you like to connect with? I'm, you know, it's funny because taking this path that that this incarnation that I am now, it's it's like a magnet. So people turn up in my life and. There's a beautiful community, and I think that it's slow, but there is change. You know, you you were saying we were saying earlier that we want to be in a situation where I'm out of a job, and I think that would be wonderful. Not particularly financially for me, but certainly would mean that we have finally got there. Unfortunately, there is a long way to go, but slowly you can feel the shifts and 
I'm very keen on not putting myself in a position where I'm only preaching to the converted. I have a tendency to put myself in situations where I can have conversations and dialogues with people that are a little bit further away from this center of change. Let's put it that way. And I'm happy to listen and talk to them all day long because I only need to plant one seed. There's no point in me only having a conversation with light. I love talking to my light mining colleagues and we have great conversations. But I need to, I feel, I need to talk to those that are on the edge of change and need help taking that next step. Those that are really on the far outer edges, that's a bigger conversation. But certainly we need to start being... Mm-hmm. We need to be true to our word. So if we're going to be empathetic and compassionate, non-judgmental as much, you know, we have to give that to the people that we can reach. We can't keep judging them, putting them in a box and, and, and belittling them. And, it, you know, you wouldn't do that to a, a... I wouldn't do that to a difficult horse. I've got a difficult horse... They're not listening. What what am I going to do? I'm going to say, I wonder why they're not listening. Why is the response not the one I'm asking for? So what am I asking it in a way that they understand? Is it the wrong time? Is Am I off balance? Where's my harmony in my question? Where's my empathy in my question? Where's my compassion in my conversation? And we can, as much as that is absolutely the foundations of my life, we have to be able to to move that and shift that to to our fellow human beings if we're going to build a more empathetic, compassionate world, primarily for our horses, all horses, but just in general for, for, for everybody, right? So I think one of my key points is that I want to reach out to anybody that is thinking this sounds a little left field and not sure if it's going to work for them and their horse and let them know just ask a question and i'll answer it because it just might and i only need to answer one question and it just slightly shift their their mindset i'm not saying they have to look to me there's there's a group of us and i'm also very um clear that if somebody contacts me and i can't help them i have a whole bank of people that can so we have to be able to be open and, sh- and sharing and empathetic and compassionate throughout all levels of our communications and dialogues with our horses and with the people in our lives and those people on the edge of our lives that we want to help change their mindset. Just just need to plant a seed. Just need to plant a seed. I think that's important. You know, it, yeah, that's great. You know, it seems to me that humanity is going through a shift, um, a positive shift. I don't know. Maybe I'm biased and just have been working with horses a lot in the previous years. But it just seems to me horse, horses have always been an integral part of human existence. It seems like going back history, Absolutely. you know, it seems like they're a, a good uh, indicator or how we integrate with the horses and, and communicate with them is a good indicator of, of where humanity is to some degree. I don't know. I mean, Maybe imagine that's a if, imagine if humanity it, lived like a herd. 
So the, they, everybody was always looking out for everybody. Right, collective consciousness. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. they, they, have uh -huh. a, they have an awareness that, the, you know, the, the, of the sick, mm -hmm. and they had an awareness of the weak, and they had an awareness of where they need to go, and they went as a group, and there was nobody left behind. If we lived like a herd... God, life would be so much better. <laughs> right. Would. I hear that. <laughs> we would just acknowledge we're mammals and we are hurting. Exactly. Could we <laughs> right. just like get back yeah, to that? Sure. It's just, you know, rather than sitting on our own little bubble. Yes. And thinking that, you know, because right. somebody liked my post that we're part of a community. No. This is this is community. These conversations. This is community. Most definitely. Any other questions on your side, Alyssa? No. No? Well, this has been really great. You've shared so much really in a rather it. short period of time. I've really enjoyed it. I'm really thankful just to be able to have a conversation with you. And and um, it, it's really kind of cool to me how these interactions and these stories have started to come out and we get to connect with people all over the world in this sort of intimate way. So I appreciate I, I think it that's, uh, from the bottom of my yeah, heart. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved it. And I really have. And I think just one other little thing is that it, I, I think as much as back, getting back to nature, we have to make an acknowledgement that this technology brings a makes a global village. Whether, we, whether, you know, to be able to talk to you from mm -hmm. the other side of the world uh, in real time and have this conversation which is really heartfelt from all of us in this in this little I know internet room that we're in right now um, that has been you know you have to you have to give nod to technology and, and advancement in one sense oh, definitely. I just think that definitely. we need to use yep. it in a way that is healthier for our well-being and our, and, and, you know, our, our mental health and our physical health and our emotional health. And, uh, I think that's, that's, we just have to be clever with it. Yeah, it's, I, I love that. It's not necessarily the tool that's wrong. It's, it's the way the tool's used. And, you know, I always say I have a, I have a, and, yeah, I, I think, have, sorry, I have a, com I get, I get, uh, sometimes I get a little bit of pushback from people because they'll, they'll see me with, um, in fact, simple, simple idea that like I ride Charlie in a side pool bridle, so bitless. I, I'm not necessarily anti bits really, but I prefer bitless. And um, I got a bit of pushback because you, you know, you why are you using a side pull? Well, it's only a, a side pull if you pull it, otherwise, it's just a lateral conversation. Call it Mickey Mouse. It's, it's, it, Anything is only the energy you give it. If I have a, I don't use one, but if I had a whip, it's only a whip if I use it as a whip. Otherwise, it's just a long stick looking thing. And it's the energy I give it. It's the energy you give anything. If you give the energy, if you give it life, that's what it is. And that goes back a little bit to your relationship with your horses and what I was saying. You're giving that life and that energy to the horses, so they're giving you it back. If, you know. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. We we get pushed back a lot. I get or I eyebrows raised. Uh, we ride. We ride naked 
not us, but the horses. <laughs> I would raise, I'd raise my, I, I'm all for, that's great. <laughs> okay. It's been, it's been an incredible, like, training and riding and, like, being with them. My mare, Willow, has never had a saddle or a saddle on her or a bit in her mouth. And I've been riding her for months. Or, uh, it's been almost a year yeah. now that I've been actively riding. And we're not against all that no, tack or anything. It's, it's just what, what works for us. What has played out just in our own like herd dynamic. Exactly. And like sounds like that's what you're touching on. It's like really just being open and in tune with that. And then we use these tools and the energy going to it. Right. It's, it, yeah. You can't be frightened of any question. Question Perfect. questions are a fabulous thing because even if I find that you know if somebody asks a question and you don't know the answer, the best thing you can say is, "Well, I don't know, but I'm going to find out," because it gives you an open door to go mm-hmm. and learn more. I think there's the the whole thing about boxing ourselves into. Um, to stereotypes of is not I I don't know everything. Nobody does. So why why would I possibly mm-hmm. pretend that I do? The 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 best person or the best being to ask is the horse anyway. So are your horses happy? Do they give you back that energy and that um, feeling that 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 channel? Have you got a channel of communication going? Have you got a dialogue going? Are they asking you questions? Are you answering those questions? And if you can't answer those questions, are you finding out the answer for them to come back and answer those questions? Are you asking them questions? Are they responding or reacting? Because you want a response, not a reaction. Because even if the response is not what you thought you needed, that's what you ask. Whatever they respond, that's the question you ask. If it's not the right response, then you've got to ask yourself, hmm, I need a different question. Oh, I love that. And that coincides with our uh, our mantra that we kind of created, communication, not control. Absolutely. You know, even when we're putting a halter on or or any type of tack or just asking them to do anything. And and as a dad, you know, that that's flowed through just in my ability to be a dad, you know, <laughs> like, you know, reflecting back in a lot of ways, like, you know, just raising children and, and how, you know, we could be tilted more toward control than communication in a lot of parenting sort of ways. And so, uh, there's so much that can be, I feel like can be had in the, in the world of horses for humans and vice versa. Thank you so much for sharing.